Good morning, Bridge. How we doing, guys? Yeah, let's all smile together. Okay, one, two, three. And that feel better? It looks better. Uh, for me, anyway. I don't know if you can see yourself or not, but anyway, take a quick selfie. It's so good to see you this morning. Uh, we're kicking off a series. In fact, kicked it off last week on Mother's Day. We're calling it Family Matters or Family Matters, however you want to say it. It's true. We're going to be focusing on the family for the next a few weeks, we kicked it off on Mother's Day. We'll be leading into Father's Day, and I'm so glad that you're here. Can we appreciate Nicole Price that came and guest-led worship for us this morning? Way to go, Nicole! <clears throat> Those of you that don't know, Andrew and Nicole pastor our Mount Olive location. Jared and Nicole switched off just like the preaching pastors switch off from time to time. And it's always good to have her back uh, here in Princeton where she was helping to lead us for so long. Uh, and they're doing amazing things over there in Mount Olive, and we appreciate them so very much. I, let's just kick in the message time. I went to my mom many years ago, many decades ago now, and uh, when, when I, was, I was in love, and, and I said, Mom, how do you know when it's the real thing? And, and uh, you know, I've kind of been in love or in tingle a lot of times in my life, and I didn't know, is this just another one of those quivers in my liver, or is something really going on here? And uh, how do you know for sure? And, uh, and she said what her mother said to her that was just, profoundly helpful to me, she said, when it's real, you'll just know. God bless you. Thanks for coming to church today. That's the message, right? Let me ask you something. Those of you that are married, uh, is there more to fulfilling a till death do us part commitment than a quiver in your liver? There's got to be a little more to it than that if we're going to make it. So as we kind of launch into this series called Family Matters, uh, we're, what we're going to be doing is looking at the different stages of family life. Again, kicked off on Mother's Day. Today we're talking about when love is sparked. We're talking about the courtship, dating kind of season when, you, when you're considering getting married. Next week we're going to talk about marriage. The week after that we're going to talk about parenting. And then the week after that we're going to talk about parenting parents when, when the roles shift and we start talking about caring for our aging parents, which I, of course, have just recently come through and, and Kim is now dealing with in her own life, and many of you are as well. And so we're going to talk about that, and then we'll wind up on Father's Day honoring our dads and talking about the legacy that our dads are establishing for us. So today we're just going to get into it, talking about when love is kindled, when we're just getting started. And, and I'll just to be clear with you, my goal is to give you more than mom gave me all those years ago, okay? To give you something meaningful that you can grab onto uh, as you consider this thing. Valerie mentioned it at the greeting time, in case you've come in since then. There are aspects of the message today that are rated PG, and so if your kids are a little bit young, you may want to take advantage of Bridge Kids this morning. If they're getting into their preteen or teen years, you may want to go get them and bring them in here, or at least bring them the message later, because there's some things they really need to hear, okay? So I'm going to say a couple of things before we get into it. First of all, um, Let's just be honest right up front. Some of the things that I'm going to say to you today are the exact opposite of what you're hearing in the culture. They're just the exact opposite. And so if you've got your training on what it means to fall in love and pick a mate and all this, if you've got your training from movies, from Hollywood, from the culture, some of the stuff may sound a little old-fashioned. It may sound a little out of date. It may sound a little weird to you even. Uh, but hear me, guys, the bottom line of building anything that lasts is the foundation. Is that right? And so we have to decide when we're considering getting married and 
uh, and starting a family, we have to decide what's going to be the foundation of this family, and you get to choose. You can choose the truths that are in the Bible that have stood the test of time for centuries, or you can choose the ideas that the culture teaches that, quite frankly, changes with every wind of movies that are popular. You get to choose. You can choose the culture and the values that were formed during the sexual revolution and the drug culture of the 60s and 70s, or you can choose the endless uh, time, uh, 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 truths of time. But, but Jesus made this very clear, Matthew 7, 24 through 27, therefore anyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against the house, yet it did not fall. Because Why? Because it had a foundation that was built on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like the foolish man to build us out on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and against, against that house, and it fell with a great crash. So you get to decide, quite frankly, whether you're in the room or you're watching online or you're watching this video later, you get to decide what's going to be the foundation of your family and you can lean into the ageless truths of God's Word or the tr current truths of the culture. The second thing I want to say before we get into it is I realize I'm speaking to a diverse audience. I, I realize that there are singles that are watching this service. I understand that there are engaged couples that are watching this message. There are newlyweds. There are married couples. There are, there are couples in late stages of life, and they're grandparenting or even great-grandparenting. I understand that. And I also understand that we, we all tend to listen to sermons through the lens of our current setting. So let me just say right quickly, here's my challenge to you. Parents and grandparents, I want you to listen through the perspective of giving advice. Okay? I'm going to give you some truths that will help you to parent and grandparent in a solid kind of way. So lean into this. Don't tune it out and say, well, I'm already long-term married. This doesn't apply to me. Yeah, you have influence in people's lives. Again, biological, biological, adoptive, or spiritual kids are looking for advice from you. Second, those of you that are married, here's what I want you to say, uh, what I want you to know. I'm going to share with you some areas that you need to make sure are the foundation of your marriage, even if you're already married. I'm not saying go find another spouse and do it this way this time. I'm saying build these foundations into your marriage, okay? Got it? Singles, I, I, need, I need to challenge you this morning to look beyond the goosebumps. When you're thinking about I'm going to spend the rest of my life with this person, I want to challenge you to build your life and your family on the eternal principles of God's Word. And for all of us, if you recognize you've made some mistakes, you recognize that there, there's, you didn't do it this way every time. I want you to think forward, not backward. Okay? I want you to think about where do I go from here. You see, God couldn't care less about how far you've come on your spiritual journey. All he cares about is the direction of your feet now. So I want you to think forward, not backward, as we talk about some of these things, because ain't none of us got it right every time. Can I get an amen in the house? That is the most universal, loudest amen I've ever gotten. Let's look forward, not back, because God has an incredible way of even using our mess-ups, working them into a pattern for good in our lives if we commit to do it His way. Let's get into it, and I'll just go ahead and start. I told you some of this stuff is countercultural. Let's go ahead and stop by dropping the first bombshell of the morning. 
You ready? There is no such thing as Mr. or Mrs. Right. Hello, are you out there? Oh, it's romantic to talk about your soulmate and all that junk, but it just ain't so. Here's the truth that you need to understand. We are created in the image of God. Track with me. We are created in the image of God. God loves everybody. Therefore, we have the capacity to love anybody. That's the capacity that's built into us because of the image of God. And that's why it's so critical that you decide up front that I'm going to filter the people that I spend time with. I'm going to filter the people that I let influence my life. I'm going to filter the people that I will potentially date and marry based on the truths of God's Word up front. You can avoid a whole lot of pain in your life if you do that because I've talked to so many couples that, that, well, I know he's this and I know she's that, but I love her. You could have avoided a whole lot of pain if you'd done this filter first. You with me? Don't get mad at me, okay? Don't send me emails this week. It's just true. The number one reason that's given in divorce court these days for why the divorce has to end is a phrase that lawyers have made up. It's called, you know what it is? irreconcilable differences. How many of you married couples have have discovered that you are the exact opposite to your spouse? Come on. Yeah. I mean, one's detail-oriented, the other one is big picture, one is early riser, the other is late night, and we're just different. That's true. But there are a couple of things that you can't have different if you're going to build a till-death-do-us-part marriage. There are two things, and that's a short sermon, two things. Well, I'll unpack them a little bit, but anyway, two things that you've got to make sure you have, even though there's a lot of other differences in your life, and that's what I want us to lean into today. Every married couple has differences, but there are two things you've got to build into your marriage, whether you're considering marriage or you're already married, if this is going to be one of those till death do us part kind of relationships. First of all, you need a common faith. You need a common faith. Second Corinthians chapter, come on. That's right. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 14 and 15, do not be yoked together with unbelievers, for what does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? See, I told you right away, we're confronting one of those things the culture says, well, you're in love, you can work it out. Culture says, okay, he's a believer, she's not, it's okay. She's a believer, he's not, it's okay. Love will get you through. Don't you love that phrase? Oh, so you, you go to church on Sunday and he'll go to the game on Sunday and you just meet afterwards, no big deal. Love will see you through. Now, don't send me emails because I know there are families that have survived that have done well. Uh, you know, they've worked through the stuff that's associated with this. My own family, my dad came from a totally irreligious family, knew nothing about the Lord uh, or church or anything like that. My mom grew up in a strong a holiness and Pentecostal kind of background and loved Jesus with all her heart, and they got married. And, and for 22 years of their marriage, they went separate ways on Sundays. Dad was, uh, was supportive of mom, so he'd look at us and say, your mom wants you in church, get dressed and go. But he wouldn't go with us. But they worked through that. And we got into our teen years, and, uh, and there were some problems because he had a different value set than my mom did. And we'll go into the details of that. We'll talk about parenting later in the series. But, but some, again, they worked through that. They managed through that and having a real loving relationship. But, but here's what I need you to hear. There's something about this passage 
that frankly I didn't understand until Kim and I got married. Soon after we got married, I quickly began to realize the joy, the strength, the, 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 the power, the unity that came from having a common faith. And it began to dawn on me that my mom spent most of her young adult life not having any of that available to her. Did my dad love my mom? Sure he did. Was he a good provider and a good father? Yeah. And a year and a half before he went to heaven, he gave his life to Jesus Christ. And we got to celebrate that together for about a year and a half. But I can tell you that till the day mom died, she said that year and a half together was richer than the 22 years before it. Because there's something that happened once they had agreement about faith, once they had a common faith. You see, I, I, it, was, it was then, only then that I began to understand why my mom felt so strongly about me when, in my dating seasons and uh, my high school years and who I would date and who I would not. I, I started to see in a girl my junior year in high school that I had just been just bonkers head over heels over since the eighth grade. And my mom didn't want me to see her. And I didn't understand why. I had good family and good people. And I said, well, I don't understand. And she said, well, you know, you're a follower of Jesus, and she's not. You, 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 you've decided to follow Christ with your life, and, and she hasn't. And there's just going to be a difference there. And I just didn't get it. I didn't understand. I didn't understand why that was such a big deal for her. And, and, and I didn't understand why she got upset when I kept seeing her because I was convinced she was the one. She is the one. She's my soul mate. We can work through this stuff until I came in to school one day my senior year and one of my teachers pulled me aside and said, Jim, I know that, that, that you're kind of enamored with this young lady. You do know that she got engaged over the weekend, don't you? She couldn't have gotten engaged because I didn't ask her. How is that possible that she got engaged? She's the one. I mean, and it threw me into a huge crisis, and I was convinced I would never get over it, but also learn not to mess with a praying mom. <laughs> Come on. So trust me, I know Christian singles chafe at this truth. Uh, you know, and they, they say things like, I've heard it over the years, they, they say things like, well, you know, but I really love him. I think I can change him. Well, it's not like I'm going to marry her. We're just going out, I and mean, we're just seeing each other. It's just casual. You do understand that you marry who you date. You, you got that, right? Well, so, so I've been to church. I mean, it's just nobody at church is my type. There's just, you know, there ain't nobody there that works for me. I understand the dilemma. I do. I understand the frustration. In fact, it was, it, it was, I was away at college. I already had my undergrad degree in business and then went away to Bible college before my roommate took me home one night. And I met the most beautiful, dedicated, strong Christian lady on the planet. Sorry, ladies, it's just the truth. And she made me the happiest man in the world when she said yes to my proposal for marriage. And that was 42 years ago. But it took me a long time to get to that place where I realized God had a plan for me all along. I just had to wait and trust him. So hear me, whether it's easy or frustrating, the bottom line is I can't tell you the number of conversations I've had over the years with Christians 
people who are growing in their faith. They're excited about what God is doing in their lives. They're excited to be a part of a community of faith, the local church. They're discovering their gifts and their talents and their purpose in life. They go and hear a sermon, and God speaks to them in powerful ways, and it's life-changing kind of ways. And then they go home, and they can't share what God's doing with their spouse because their spouse doesn't get it. He or she just doesn't understand. And in some cases, they're even threatened by it. Singles, hear me. Parents, as you give advice, hear me. Even if you can't see the problem now, people change. And we change according to the influences that we allow in our lives. And so over the years, if you have one set of influences and he or she has another set of influences and you're both changing, you are not changing in the same direction. Is this making sense? And so you got to be sure, guys, this is not just some legalism that, that God said, oh, you can't do that. There's a reason behind every boundary that God defines for us, guys. And so parents, teach these lessons to your kids. Uh, pray, 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 pray that they'll, that they'll survive the years when they're dating people that you know don't share their faith. Pray uh, that, that they'll incorporate biblical values into their own lives and then build relationships with people that share those values. Pray that they'll seek a life partner that's committed to the same because the first critical point of agreement in a till-death-do-us-part relationship is that you share a common faith. I was reflecting this morning about this truth in my own life and in my son's lives. I have the privilege of doing all three of my son's weddings. And, and when Andrew was married, the first of the three boys, I prepared myself to say some private words to him, to some personal things to him at the ceremony. And I knew it would be emotional. So I, I kind of rehearsed what I was going to say and kind of got through the tears, you know, in the private thing so that when I got there, I wouldn't make an idiot out of myself and of everybody. And I said some personal things to him. And then I turned to Emily and, uh, and I had not prepared myself for that. I just, you know, didn't think too much about that. And I looked at Emily and I said, uh, and you are the lady that Kim and I, have prayed for, for Andrew, for 25 years. And you're the answer to our prayer. And here we stand today with Andrew in heaven, and that lady is raising our grandchildren. Hear me, guys. If you're going to build a till death do us part kind of relationship, whether it is 15 years or 50 years, you need a common faith. It's huge. Got me? You ready for the second one? The second thing you need is a committed love. A committed love. This one's easy, right? Because we all know about love. Oh, we like, we love love. I and mean, we love to talk about love. It's probably the most used word in the English language. You know, I love my wife. I love America. I love baseball. I love hot dogs. I love apple pie. I love my truck. You know, I love, I'm in love. I love love songs. I love movies about love. I cry at Hallmark movies. Make fun of me if you will. I know it's coming and I still do. I just, I just love loves. Somebody hug somebody now. Come on. Let's just. Here's the problem. We use that word a lot. 
and don't have a clue what it means. American Heritage Dictionary defines it four different ways. It defines love as an intense affection or warm feelings for another, as a strong sexual desire for another person, as a strong fondness or enthusiasm about a given thing or idea, and a zero score in tennis. All in one word. So maybe if we lean into the New Testament was originally written in, in Koine Greek. Maybe if we lean into Greek and, and we look at, at the words that they use, maybe we'll understand love a little bit better. Some of you know this, but there are three key words that, uh, uh, that is often used from the Greek that's translated uh, love in English. The first, of course, is phileo, uh, from which we get the word uh, Philadelphia. A brotherly love, the city of brotherly love. It's this idea that I love you because we're family. I love you because we're in the same club or because we attend the same church. I love you because you make me feel good. I love you because you make me look good when we're together. I love you because you meet my needs. And there's nothing wrong with phileo love. I mean, just to be honest with you, I have a lot of phileo love for a lot of you, and I don't even know your names. I just do because we're in relationship with one another uh, in the same family with the same vision working together to accomplish what we believe God's brought this church into existence to do. Nothing wrong with phileo love except that there is a selfishness at the heart of it. So as long as I love you because of something you do for me, there's a self-centeredness to that, isn't there? Um, So when they no longer do that for you, do you still love them? If they don't make you feel good or they don't make you look good or they don't do the stuff for you they used to do, do you stop loving them? Again, nothing wrong with phileo love, but we're talking about a till death do us part kind of commitment, and phileo love can't be the basis for a till death do us part kind of commitment, can it? We're talking about a committed love. The second love, uh, I could have given you scripture for phileo love. We won't take time to do that. I I can't give you scripture for the second one because it ain't in the Bible, and it's eros physical love, we get the English word erotic from it. (laughs) The first time I preached on this subject, I I went looking in the dictionary and and trying to learn everything I can, what the culture says about love. And and back in those days, we all used world book encyclopedias. Any of you old enough to remember the world book encyclopedia? That was the source of information. And so I looked up in the world book encyclopedia, love, and you know what it said? There was no definition for love. It said, see emotion, comma, sex. So I looked up sex. I felt like a seventh grader. But anyway, I looked up, I looked up sex. You know, and I'm, all the whole time I'm thinking, well, of course this is what they would say because that's probably the most common connection in the culture in the American psyche about this thing called love. Is it true? I mean, turn on the radio, and you'll hear one love song after the other, but most of them are not about love at all. They're about lust. Come on, don't look at me like you don't know what I'm talking about. Well, I only listen to K-Love, Jim. I don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) So you turn on the classic rock station, and they go, Give it to me, give it to me, give it to me, give it to me, or I'll take it. You tell them, Pastor Jim, that rock and roll music is from the pit of hell. 
I only listen to the easy listening station. Give it to me. Give it to me. If you don't give it to me, I'll take it. Well, that ain't no different than the rock stuff. It's just slowed down for old people. That's all that is. I only listen to real music. I'm talking about the new country. That's, that's the real music, yeah. That one goes something like, well, I reckon I'll take my shotgun and take it. <laughs> Hear me, guys. Those are not love songs. They are lust songs. And I need you to hear this. We're having some fun with it, but I need you to hear this. The, the, the point is about what I want from you. Lust can't wait to take. Love can't wait to give. There is a profound difference, a world apart, and, and selfishness and taking cannot be the basis for a till-death-do-us-part relationship that lasts. It just can't be. And I know, I know, we live in a culture that says, Jim, you're making a big deal out of nothing. I mean, sex is just gratifying normal animal instincts. It's just a physical act. It's no, don't get all bent out of shape. It's no, it's no big deal. But look at what the Bible says. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 4 and 5, for God wants you to be holy and pure and to keep clear of all sexual sin so that each of you marry in holiness and honor, not in lustful passion as the heathens do, in their ignorance of God and his ways. Hear me, guys. Even non-Christian psychologists are beginning to understand that something happens when two people come together sexually. There is a union that forms. Here's how Paul put it in 1 Corinthians 6.16. He said, Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said the two will become one flesh. His point is that even in a situation where you would assume that there is no chance of any emotional connection, there's still a union. There's still a form of a sort of bond that forms in that place. I heard one pastor illustrate it this way. Imagine that it is the coldest day of the winter. It is 10 degrees outside. But you go outside and you get some good saliva in your mouth and then stick your tongue to the bumper of the car and hold it there for 30 seconds and then walk away. You cannot walk away. Hear me, guys. You cannot walk away without leaving a part of yourself there. And you cannot walk away from a sexual act without leaving a part of yourself there. And the number one reason why we hold the line and say sex was ordained by God, created by God. What a wonderful God you are. <laughs> for one man, one woman in a lifelong marital relationship. That's what it's for. Because anything else is getting permanently bonded to a temporary lover. And you can't do anything but leave a part of yourself 
behind, which is why when I do premarital, some of you have already approached me about doing your wedding. I'm honored to do your weddings, but please be prepared in the first session of a premarital counseling session. The first question I ask is, are you sexually active? And if the answer is yes, will you stop between now and the wedding? Are you willing to honor God's word in this area of your life? Here's the problem. Again, Secular psychologists are finally picking up on this as well as Christian psychologists. Here's the problem. The minute a couple becomes physically intimate, we call it intimate, physically, sexually active, uh, without that lifelong commitment of marriage, it blocks the formation of spiritual, emotional, and intellectual intimacy. It just stops. Because there is this sense in which we are now intimate, but in fact you are only physically intimate. You haven't done the hard work, hard work, it's hard work. Somebody married in the room said amen. It's hard work to develop intellectual, emotional, and spiritual intimacy. And we don't do that hard work because we're intimate. But any married couple in this room or watching online will agree with me that physical intimacy is a wonderful part of marriage, but it ain't enough to build a to-death-do-you-part relationship on. Well, the women said amen. The guys went, oh, oh, maybe. (laughs) Hear me, guys. If you come to me for premarital counseling and I ask you that question, Please hear my heart. I'm not trying to be judgmental. I'm not trying to be mean-spirited. I'm not trying to be legalistic. I'm saying I want to give you every chance you have to make this a let-rest-of-your-life kind of marriage. And I'll tell you now that I've got a 97% success rate of the marriages that I've done. You know why? Because I felt them. Are you forming a family with a common faith and a committed love, because if you're not, I'm not the guy to do your wedding. Because I learned a long time ago that the foundation determines how stable the building is. The Bible says, i got to move on, but the Bible says that we ought to elevate sex to the level that God intended, the culmination of spiritual, emotional, intellectual intimacy expressed by a man and a woman in a marital relationship. But, Pastor, you don't understand. We're, we're, we're already active. I mean, are, are you saying that I should just walk right up and say we're done, we're stopping, we're not going to have it? No, 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 be subtle, be gentle. Plan a dinner. Do it tactfully, you know. Get some candlelight and some soft music and the most romantic part of the evening. Lean over the table and say, Let's imagine that it's the coldest day in the winter. (laughs) Make a commitment. Parents, we need to help our kids with this. Because they're living in a culture that's being bombarded with an opposite message. Am I right? Let me give you some suggestions right quick. Uh, from Focus on the Family, four suggestions they make. First of all, demand accountability when your children are young. Demand accountability while your children are young. Frankly, you need to know where they are and what they're doing. Uh, my boys complained once about me invading their privacy, and I said, 
privacy? <laughs> this is my house. <laughs> I just, you may have a little privacy in the bathroom, but if you stay in there very long with the door locked, you ain't going to have none there. <laughs> That's that. That's just the way it works, right? Demand accountability where they are. Hear me. I'll put it as directly as I know how. If you're letting your 11, 12, 13-year-old roam at will, you're setting them up for failure in this area. You just are. You think that it's innocent enough, but hear me, they will pair off, and they will pair off young, which leads us to the second one. You need to determine their dating age by maturity, not number. I read not too long ago, uh, the odds of sex before high school graduation. Uh, and they said if they start dating at age 12, they have a 91% chance of being sexually active before they finish high school. At, if they start at 13, it's a 56% chance. At 14, there's a 30, 53% chance. At 15, it's a 40% chance. And if they wait till 16, there's a 25% chance that they'll become sexually active before they finished high school. So tell me, if you choose to let your kids start dating at 12, 13, 14, because everybody else is doing it, and it's cute to see those kids together, you need to understand that they're too young to make these kind of lifelong decisions, and they will eventually get bored with normal dating and will begin to experiment. Parents, help your kids succeed in these areas. The third thing Focus on the Family says do is supervise their music and their online activities. Yeah, hear me. Again, they're going to say, you're invading my space. The Internet is filled with predators that target immature teenagers, and you need to protect them from them. Even when they don't want to be protected, you need to protect them from that. We're facing a reality in a world not only of temptation, but predators. The fourth thing, focus on the family says, and I think this is huge, you need to teach your children why they should say no. Don't just say, say no. Tell them why they should say no. Take this sermon. Make them watch it. Talk about what they just heard. Help them to understand why God put this boundary. Every boundary that every God put in our lives, he did it for our benefit ultimately, and they need to understand that benefit, and they will thank you for it their entire married lives if you do. So, so what if we teach our, our daughters when a boy comes and says, if you love me, you will, to look at him and say, well, you know, I, I do love you, but I'm going to love my husband more. And if that winds up being you, then you'll be glad I said no now. And if it turns not being you, then maybe you don't really love me at all. What if we teach them to say no and why? And the why simply is that the foundation that God has laid for us is ultimately the glue that holds a marriage together. It's a love that goes beyond brotherly love. It goes beyond physical attraction. It goes all the way to committed love that the Bible calls agape, unconditional love. Not I love you because, just simply I love you. And I will love you when you get it right, and I will love you when you get it wrong. And every one of the men in this room have gotten it wrong about once a day, however long you've been married. Amen. I'm glad the men said amen, not the women. That was just, 
We don't get it right, guys. Gals, we don't get it right every time. We, we, the, the, we all struggle. We talked about it last week. We all struggle with the sin nature. We all struggle with the flesh. We all struggle with, with, with the selfishness that we're born in. We struggle with that, and we can bring it to the Lord, and we can ask God to sanctify us and help us to break free from that. We can pray to be filled with the Holy Spirit and empowered by the Holy Spirit, but the flesh is still the flesh, this side of eternity. And so we need that kind of love that Jesus gives us where I love you no matter what. I love you not because of anything about you. I love you because of who I am. And if you can start giving that kind of love to your spouse, then you've got a pretty good chance, particularly if your spouse will give it back to you. Kim and I had been married about two years. <clears throat> I was in college. We had uh, our first child. I was pastoring full-time, so I was going to school full-time, pastoring full-time. She was home with the baby. She got pregnant with the second child. And I came home one day, and she said, I need you to understand that the only reason I'm here is because I made a commitment to be here. Rocked my world. And I said, you know what? I, I got my priorities out of whack. I'll change. I'm sorry. And I changed. But she stayed not because I changed. She stayed because she said she would. I've drug her all over the planet. <laughs> and she's followed me because she said she would. I am a blessed man. And I want that for every one of you, men and women alike. But to have it, you need a common faith and you need a committed love. If you didn't start that way, it ain't never too late to start if there's breath. Fresh starts are available in Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you that we can have fresh starts with you every day. All we have to do is lean into you and say, God, I really want to do this your way. Forgive me for doing it my way. Forgive me for letting the culture influence my thinking. Help me, Lord, to build the kind of foundation that leads to a till death do us part kind of family. And I thank you for the way you're doing that even across this room for singles and marrieds alike. You're helping us to make these kinds of commitments. In Jesus' name, keep your heads bowed for just a minute. Nobody's looking. It's just me and you and God. Wherever you are in your marital life, single, married, single again, wherever you are in that journey, would you pray that prayer with me today? It goes something like this. God, I want to be the kind of spouse that brings a common faith in Jesus Christ and a committed love because of who you are into my marriage. I pray that my spouse will do the same, but I can't necessarily control what he does or she does. I can only control what I do. So help me, Lord, to put my faith in you and to make you my resource for love. In Jesus' name, keep your heads bowed. Some of you maybe came here today, and if I ask you if you had a relationship with Jesus Christ, if you were honest, you'd have to say, you know, I'm not sure if I do. 
I can't let you go without asking you, are you ready to start one? You can start it right now. And all of the benefits that accrue from that are available to you no matter what you've done up to this point. Again, he doesn't care how far you've come or, or where you've come from. He cares about where you're headed. So if you're not absolutely sure that you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, a life-defining, dynamic, empowering relationship with Jesus Christ, would you pray a simple prayer with me right now in the room? You that are watching online, you that are watching on video later, would you pray a prayer with me? Jesus, I need you to be the center of my life. I need your word to be the foundation for my life and my family. So forgive me for ignoring you up to this point. Give me a life-defining relationship with you and the power to live that relationship out. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Would you stand with me? If you prayed that prayer this morning, either in the room or online, or you're watching this video, please text me. Let me know. I want to pray for you. I want to pray with you. I want to encourage you. Our church family wants to help you on this journey. Just text New Life to 55498. Let us know so we can pray for you, okay? Father, thank you for the chance to spend this time together. I pray that seeds have been planted in all of our hearts that will ultimately produce a harvest of rich families that bring you glory and bring life and love and honor to our homes. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. God bless you guys. Have a blessed Sunday. See you next week.